Well, good morning, Journey. It's so good to see y'all. Let's try one more time. So I felt it in the 8 a.m. I felt it here. Y'all are a little tired. So let's try one more time. Good morning, Journey. Turn to someone and say, praise the Lord. Now turn to someone and say, press on. Those are the two themes of our church as we move through the fall. For those of you sitting outside, what a beautiful day. I contemplated when I came to say hi to you just a few minutes ago, just taking my Bible out and figuring out how to get a camera outside. It feels better outside than it does inside. We're so glad that you are with us. I had someone come up to me two weeks ago after I preached a message and ended with the theme of press on. And he said, man, could you put that on a wristband I could wear so I won't forget it? So we've done that. If you want to press on wristband as you leave today, they'll be at either door. You can grab one as you go. We got thick ones for the guys and smaller ones for the ladies or people who like that. We want to, we want to remind you to wear this or put it on the gear shift of your truck or set it in your office, put it around your phone, put it around your coffee mug that you use. And every day, remember this year, press on. We've spent way too much time standing still in 2020, letting the circumstances of our life kind of pause everything that's going on. It's time to move forward. Amen. It's time to press on. We're in a brand new series, week two, called Made for This. I believe you, like Terry Rank, were made for more than what you were doing if you were not living God's purpose for your life as we speak today. And we want to try to help you learn how to do that in this series. This series has a verse and a premise. Here's our theme verse for this series, Ephesians 2.10. Jot this down if you haven't already. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 says that God made you. He made you to know Jesus, and he made you so that once you knew Jesus, you would do what he created you to do, and he has planned for you to do something for him since before the world began. That's what we believe, and we believe every follower of Jesus. The premise of this series is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, and if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, thanks for being here. I think today might teach you what Christianity should look like if you've been wondering. We believe every follower of Jesus has been created to know God, not just know about God. Last week, we, we said there was a difference, right, between knowing about God and knowing God. We want to know God so deeply that he, that he transforms us. And as a part of our transformation, we want to figure out, God, why did you create me? What is my purpose in life? And by doing that, we want to make a difference. Now, there's two ways to kind of move through this process. One of them is really intense and takes two years. One of them is less intense and takes about a month. The first one is our journey internship. We have an internship program at our church for college students. We're kicking off year two. Here they are on the screen. There they are. Would you guys stand real quick? Let me tell you what our internship program is. Give them a hand if you would. Let me tell you who they are and what they're doing. Our internship program is designed for students who are staying in town for college or those who are taking a gap year between high school and college who want to move through two years of intense discipleship and learn ministry leadership so that by the time they go to their four-year school or start in their full-time career, they know God, they've been transformed, they know what they've created to do, and they're, and they're doing it. They're champions for Jesus in whatever uh, world that they're living in. Over this two-year internship, they go to Israel, they go to Guatemala, serve on the mission field with us, they serve at our student camps, um, and they serve in our church every week. This is my favorite group of people at our church. I love you guys. I'm proud of you guys. They normally never look like this. They normally never look like that. If, you, if they're ever in the room at the same time, they look like this. This is normally what they look like, but if we can get them calmed down and put it in the right direction, man, they're going to make a difference for Jesus. The most important thing in our church is to get the next generation ready to lead the church, and they're doing that. You guys can be seated. Give them a hand one more time for the sacrifice. They're going to pour into this internship 
the next year. You say, Christian, I'm out of high school. I'm out of college. I'm almost like out of my adult world. How can I know God, be transformed, discover my purpose, like make it like I wish I would have done that when I was 18, 19, and 20, but I didn't get a chance. There's still hope for me. There is inside your bulletin is this little card that says JCI growth track. If you're a part of our church, we're praying that everyone in our church between now and January 1 will go through the four steps of the journey growth track. Learn how to know God, be transformed, find your purpose, and then make a difference. These steps are happening every Sunday after church. So today, Sunday number two of the month will be class two after church. I'll be having lunch with about 75 people and then digging into figuring out how God designed you to make a difference in the world. Um, in October, they will begin happening during church, during the 9.30 and the 11 o'clock service. You'll be able to come to church and then stay over for one of these classes. But within four weeks, you can move through this entire process. Our prayer is that everyone in our church will go through this process. You can fill out this card, drop it in the box on your way out today. If you're more technological, you're not doing the paper and pen stuff yet in COVID season, you can text two words, journey growth to 47, 47, 47. And that'll send you this card, and then you'll have to fill it out and submit it. Um, but that'll give us your information. But we're excited this year to press on to know who Jesus is and to be transformed by him. One more time, say press on. Second Corinthians 5 is where we're going to be hanging out today. If you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians 5 is where we're going to dig in. Two goals as we move through this series. Last week, we talked about knowing God. Today, we're talking about being transformed. And here really are the two goals of today. First, to acknowledge the gap between our salvation and our transformation. To acknowledge that the minute you become a Christian, you don't automatically begin to look like Jesus, but there is this, there is this spiritual gap. There's this gap of time that for some people is way too long between when I become a follower of Jesus and when I finally look like Jesus. The apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter two, and he said, your attitude, your life, your love, the way you act should look like Jesus. But, it, but it's not automatic. So he said, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He said, God created you so you'd look like Jesus, so everyone would know who Jesus is, but you're not there yet. There's this gap between becoming a follower of Jesus and actually looking like Jesus Paul said, you got to work, you got to work hard to close that gap. So our goal today is to acknowledge that's true. There, there is some time between when I decide to follow Jesus and when I really look like Jesus. We don't just want to acknowledge that, though. We want to close it, right? We don't just want to be a church where you learn things. We want to be a church where you become things. We don't just want to acknowledge there's a gap. We want to close the gap between our salvation and our spiritual transformation. We don't just want to talk about becoming more like Jesus, we actually want to become more like Jesus. That is the goal, amen? Like, not just talk about it, let's do it. So today we're going to try to learn how to do that in 2 Corinthians 5. Before we dig in, let's pray real quick and ask God to speak to our hearts. Would you bow your heads with me here and outside? And those of you watching online, take a deep breath if you haven't done that yet today. And just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven. Very sincerely ask God to speak to you today. Just ask God to speak to you. God, that's our prayer that you'd speak to us. Show us how to grow in our faith. Show us what we might need to eliminate from our lives so that we can be transformed and what we might need to add to our lives so that we might be transformed. Lord, we don't just want to be followers of Jesus who still look like our old self. We want to be followers of Jesus that look like Jesus. Help that happen in our lives. Let today be a step forward in that process. We love you. 
We see things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. One verse today, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, one of the greatest verses in Scripture, one of the greatest promises in Scripture, unless we don't understand it fully, and then it can be one of the, one of the greatest misconceptions in Scripture. It says this, Paul says to the church in Corinth, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, don't you all like me wish that it actually worked this way? That when you become a follower of Jesus, just all the old garbage in your life goes away and all the new blessings in your life come your way. Like, don't we wish the minute that we became followers of Jesus, this is how it happened. All the old stuff was gone. All the new stuff was here. I would, I would sign up for that if I could. But there's a gap. There's a gap for some of you in here. There was a gap for me There's a gap in when we become followers of Jesus and when we finally look like Jesus. Paul said, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Great promise. But if we take it out of context and we say this is how it works, we're going to experience some spiritual tension because some of you are followers of Jesus and you still look like your old self. Some of you knew some people before you were a follower of Jesus that you know now that you are a follower of Jesus and they don't know that anything has changed. Some of your family members will see you as the same person you used to be before you became a Christian. Some of the people you work with see you as the same person you used to be before you became a Christian. Like, you, you've got this new life in your heart, and you've got this new life eternally, but when it comes to living life, you're still the same old you. And Paul says it shouldn't be that way. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth reveals some tension between what is a spiritual truth. This is true. This is true spiritually. One day this should be true transformationally. One day this will be true uh, eternally. This is true, but the question is, is it a reality? As Paul writes to the Corinthians, we see tension between spiritual truth and spiritual reality. And as we begin to unpack what it looks like to be transformed, two steps we've got to take today. Number one, we've got to acknowledge there's a gap between salvation and transformation. I am in Christ. I am a follower of Jesus. But the old is not all gone and the new is not all come. Christian, I I acknowledge that's real. That's real for me. I'm a follower of Jesus, but my old life's not all gone and my new life's not all come. So what do I do now? Question, are you a radically different person as a follower of Jesus than you were before you were a follower of Jesus? The answer to that question is supposed to be yes, but it takes a little bit to get there sometimes. About a year and a half before Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 5, he wrote 1 Corinthians 3. Same guy writing to the same people, and here's what he said, brothers and sisters. Anytime the Apostle Paul or any author of Scripture uses this phrase, it means they're talking to Christians. He considers them spiritual family. So not talking to people who thinks they're Christians, not talking to people who go to church but aren't Christians. He's talking to people who are Christians. They've given their heart to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Paul said, you are Christians who are acting like non-Christians. Does anyone know a Christian who still acts like a non-Christian? Don't look at him if they're sitting by you. Like, just look at me and shake your head, yes. Does anyone know a Christian who still acts like a non-Christian? Two years before Paul told the church at Corinth, when you're in Jesus, you're a brand new person, all your old life is gone. Two years before he told them that, he told them there are some of you who are Christians who still act like you're not 
Christians. There's this gap between your salvation and your transformation. It had been three years since a lot of them had given their life to Jesus. And Paul said, after three years, you still look like the person you were when you first became a Christian. Nothing has changed. Nothing has transformed. Sadly, the world is filled with Christians who don't yet look like Jesus Christ, beginning with me and you. To say that without the last part can be a little judgmental. But to, but to include ourselves in that, the world is filled with Christians who don't look like Jesus, and I am one of them, and probably you are one of them. It lets us together say, okay, we've got, we've got this journey towards transformation that we have to travel towards because there's this gap between Jesus is in my life, but, but I don't look like him. I don't love like him. I don't see like him. I don't react and respond like him yet. So Jesus, I need some help with this gap. This problem of there being a gap between knowing God and looking like he wants you to look like began with the first people who ever followed God. They were called the Israelites. They were a nation who'd been in slavery for 400 years in a place called Egypt. And 3,500 years ago, from the year 2020, 3,520 years ago, um, they, they were rescued as slaves of Egypt over a series of months with 10 plagues. Eventually, they came out of Egypt through northern Africa, through the Red Sea. God dried up the sea so they could walk across on dry land, and then he caved the ocean back in so the Egyptian army would die. And over a course of two years, he led them to the edge of a land that was called Canaan, that's name would be changed to Israel. And he would say, now that you know me, I want you to go live in the promise I've created you for, your transformed life from slaves to free people, my people who will tell the world about me. And when the people of Israel got to the promised land, they looked at it and they said, we don't believe what God is promising us could actually happen. We don't believe the old can go and the new can come. So we're not going to go in the land. God said, go possess the land. They were camped out in modern day Jordan, right across the Jordan river from modern day Israel. And God said, go. And they said, let's check it out first. So they chose 12 spies and said, go tell us whether or not we can trust God. And the spies came back and 10 out of 12 says, no way. If we try to go become who God has called us to become, they're going to kill us all. No way. We got to go back home. And in Numbers chapter 14, the people prayed this prayer. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. Recognize the word Egypt. You're going to see it three times. If only we had died in Egypt. If only we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt after their whole life praying that God would rescue them from Egypt. They looked at the steps that it would take to be totally transformed spiritually and said, I guess we should go back. Here are the two sad truths of Numbers chapter 14. The people of Israel had been out of Egypt for roughly two years, but Egypt wasn't yet out of the people of Israel. And some of you have been rescued out of your life of sin by saying yes to Jesus, but your life of sin is not out of you yet. We have to acknowledge. We have to acknowledge there's a gap between our salvation and our transformation. Sometimes we have to acknowledge God has invited us out of Egypt, but there's still way too much of Egypt that lives in our bones. In Nehemiah chapter nine, Nehemiah asked God to forgive the people of Israel because he said, our forefathers always did two things. When presented with the hard work that it would take for transformation, the people of Israel always chose two things. They always choose to go, chose to go back to their old life or to create new gods who would bless their old life. 
Does that sound like too many people in the church today when Christianity gets hard? I either choose to go back to my old life and abandon Christianity or I just kind of reshape Christianity in my image and I say that God blesses it and it's okay. Nehemiah said, forgive us because when the work of transformation gets tough, we run back to our old life or we just kind of reshape God into an image. For them, it was a golden calf. For us, it is whatever will bless our life in the state that it's in because transformation is too hard. Now, the good thing about this is God knew it would take more than a change of scenery. God knew that the people of Israel needed more than their zip code to change. He, he knew he needed their hearts to change. So two years before they said, we're not going in, God told Moses, I know this is going to be a process I'm going to have to work through. And in Exodus chapter 6, when he first came and told Moses, I'm going to rescue the people, he gave these four I will statements that would be the process of transformation the people of Israel would work through. He said, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I will, I will, and I will. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke, then you will know the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God said, I'm going to do four things. I will, I will, I will, I will, so that you will be transformed. I will do all this hard work so that you will be transformed. There are four I wills of spiritual freedom we read in Exodus chapter six. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That is their first step of knowing God. As a matter of fact, the Israelites knew so little about God that when God came to Moses and said, I'm going to do all this, Moses said, that's great. Who should I tell them sent me? Do you got a name? Like you got a place, got a location, got anything you want me to tell the people? God said, all you have known is slavery in Egypt, but now you will know me. And knowing me will give you the opportunity to change everything. I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. All you have known is slavery. Now you will know me. Secondly, I will free you from being slaves to them. You say, wait a minute, isn't that the same as the first thing? You would think so. You would think that being rescued from the place would change the people. But God said, these are gonna be two steps. It's going to be one thing to get you out of Egypt. That's going to be the easy part. It's going to be another thing to get Egypt out of you. That's going to be the hard part. And for those of us who have become Christians who are living with this gap, we would acknowledge, makes sense. The easy part was saying, yes, God, I want to follow you. The hard part is actually doing it. The easy part was to step out of Egypt. The hard part was to get Egypt out of me. But God said it's going to be two steps. Two years afterwards, Egypt still wasn't out of them. Then he said, number three, I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. For God, this would help the people of Israel discover their purpose. And this is interesting because this word redeem, this word redeem is understood best in Old Testament terms of, in the slave trade. Redeem, the word redeem means to buy back or to purchase back. Here's a picture of what it meant to redeem in ancient Israel. If you ran your Visa card or your American Express card or your MasterCard or your Discover card up, if you went into debt and you could not pay off your full debt 3,500 years ago, instead of sending you to a creditor, they would take one of your children and they would let them work off all your debt. And then when they were done, you could have them back. If at some point 
you were able to pay that debt before your kids had worked it all off. You could go buy your kids back to bring them back to your family. That's what the word redeem means. I lost something that originally belonged to me, but I went and I bought it back so that it could be mine again. You say, wait a minute. So when God says he redeems us, God wants us to be his slaves. No, no, no. Way better than that. Actually, when God said he redeems us, he's actually inviting us to be his family because he created humanity to be with him. God said, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God because you were created not to serve a master to pay off debt. You were created, a ma- you were created to serve a master who would bless the world. So I'm going to invite you back into my own family. And together, God says, I created this whole place so that it would know me. And when you become a part of my family, you become a part of my mission. You're going to help, whether it's like Terry Rank with young kids, whether it's like Caleb Copta last week with students, whether it's somebody running the, some of our technology today so people can still watch at home. God said, you're going to join my mission to help the whole world know me. When you become a part of my family, you begin to make a difference. Now, when we hear that, we think, Christian, that sounds like that sounds like the growth track you just talked about. Like you said, the whole purpose of this series was to know God, be transformed, discover your purpose, and make a difference. That all came from Exodus chapter six, right? Yes, it did. And you would think everyone would respond, awesome, how do I do that? You would think the people of Israel would have responded after 400 years when Moses showed up and said, God will, God will, God will, God will, so you will, that they would have said, thank God we've been waiting. But Moses gave the people of Israel this great news, and look at their response in verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they didn't listen to him because of their discouragement and their harsh labor. Huge warning for people following Jesus in 2020. Discouragement in a hard season of life will sometimes keep you from believing that God can step in and do things in your life. Sometimes when you're so discouraged and you're so tired, and you're so weary, and you're just over it. Even the best news is not believable news. Because sadly, what we're going to learn through this story of Moses and the Israelites is a tired soul will always struggle to become a transformed soul. And the reason some of you still have such a gap in your life between your salvation and your transformation is you've not yet reserved any energy for your relationship with Jesus, you spend it all someplace else so that when you hear the good news, you hear it and you think, I'm sure that's going to work for somebody, but not me. Because Christian, my week has been so hard. My year has been so hard. My life has been so hard. I'm discouraged and I am tired. Some of you need to learn how to change your diet spiritually so you can get some spiritual nutrition because our goal here is not to all walk out saying, yep, huge gap between becoming a Christian and becoming like Jesus. Our goal, number two, is to close the gap. Acknowledge it, huge gap between becoming a Christian and becoming like Jesus. But I want to close that gap. How do I close that gap? As simple as A, B, C. I'm going to give you three ways. How do I close the gap? Letter A. You're going to need an intentional plan. You're going to need an intentional plan just because of the process of how life works in a broken world filled with broken people that discourages you and wears you out. And, and you tell me whether or not I'm overstating if the world we live in is a broken world full of broken people that wears people out. Yes or no, that's a picture of our world. Yep, that's, like, that's a picture of our world. So the Apostle Paul, who in 1 Corinthians 3 said, y'all are Christians, but my gosh, you look like non-Christians. 
and who in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 said, when you become Christians, like this whole new thing should happen in your life. And 2 Corinthians 4 tells the people of Corinth a plan for how this is going to work. He's going to tell them in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 17, and 18. Here's what he first says in 4, 16. Therefore, we don't lose heart. The Israelites, they were too discouraged in Exodus chapter 6 to believe that God wanted to transform them. But Christians, we don't get too tired. We don't lose hope. We don't lose heart. We are never so discouraged that we don't believe God can't work. Now, some of us have gotten close in 2020, which is why we've been reminded to praise the Lord, which is why we've been reminded to press on because sometimes we do lose heart. But Paul said, not people who walk with Jesus. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Let me summarize and paraphrase this with a 2020 spin. Even though everything in 2020 drains life from you, Jesus every day can fill you up. Amen? That's what this verse says in the context of our world. Even though everything happening on the outside of your life drains you, every day Jesus can fill you up if you will connect with him. But you've got to feed your soul with Jesus. So how do I do that? Let's look at verse 17. Let's keep going. Paul said, one, we see our troubles as light and momentary. Turn to someone and tell them 2020 is just a moment. Now say it like you mean it. Turn to someone and don't whisper it. It's not a secret. Tell them, like, 2020 is just a moment. Tell them like you're chastising them. 2020 is just a moment. Like, we need to keep reminding each other, 2020 is just a moment. Was 2019 like 2020? Thank God, no. And hopefully 2021 won't be either. At some point, 2022, 23, 24, at some point it's going to be different. Paul said, one of the ways we move forward is we see all of our troubles as momentary. Long moment, hard moment, discouraging moment, life-draining moment. But we can be filled with Jesus every day. How? We look at our troubles as light and momentary, and we know they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This is a great play on words in the Greek language because the best English word for glory is the word weight. It's the word heavy. If it was a science word, it would be the word matter, something that takes up space. What Paul is saying is all the heavy things in life right now are showing us what truly matters spiritually. See that? Paul says all these things happening in 2020, all these heavy things weighing on us in 2020, all they are showing us is what really matters spiritually. They're actually pushing us closer to Jesus. They're so heavy that they're showing us nothing can answer but Jesus. So these weights are actually making God feel like more in our life. So what do we do? Verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul said we have to start seeing like Jesus, but we can only see like Jesus if we see Jesus. Say, so where is he? I've never seen him. I can't see him. You have to learn to see the unseen. If you want to see like Jesus, you have to learn to see Jesus on a daily basis. You say, how am I going to learn how to focus on Jesus every day? Two ways. The first one is by removing your focus from things that are negative. Letter B. So how am I going to close the gap between salvation and transformation? Get a plan. Here's your plan. Letter B. Eliminate some things. Eliminate some things. Got a call from a coach yesterday worried about one of his players. 
worried about one of his players spiritually because he had, a, he had a player who was really struggling in life and he challenged him to read his Bible and pray every day for 40 days. And he said he read his Bible and prayed every day for 40 days and he said he still doesn't feel God. I said, tell me a little more about him. He said, he's an alcoholic. He's probably drank every day for the last 40 days. And I said, see, see here's the problem. If you just add Jesus without removing unhealth, like here, here's the illustration I gave him. I said, if you, if you add a bottle of the finest wine to a barrel of poison, it's useless. It's useless. You got to drain the bad before you put in the good. And if, and if you're drinking every day as an alcoholic and reading the Bible and praying, it's not going to do much for it. You got to deal with the alcoholism and begin to pour Jesus in at the exact same time. You got to eliminate some things. Some of you are here today. You're going to come to 21 days of prayer, but you're not going to deal with the garbage in your life. It's not going to do much for you. You got to eliminate some things. You got to eliminate some things. Say, Christian, what do I need to eliminate? The first short list ever given, right? Because in Christian churches, we've got lists of hundreds now of things that Christians should eliminate. The very first short list ever given to non-Jewish Christians was in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, there was this dispute in the church that was made up of some Jewish people and some Gentile people. And they basically said, hey, Jesus was Jewish. All his disciples were Jewish. If you want to become a Christian, you have to become Jewish first. And then once you become Jewish, you can become a follower of Jesus. And they were saying, no, 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 non-Jewish people, all they got to do is place their, face in, in, place their faith in Jesus. That's enough. But there are some things in the Jewish law that followers of Jesus should not do. So they gave them a short list. The first thing that non-Jewish Christians Wherever asked not to do are three things listed in Acts chapter 15, verses 28 and 29. They wrote a letter to the Gentile church saying, you don't have to become Jews, but these three things as followers of Jesus, you should probably not do it. Seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to be a burden with you beyond anything, anything beyond the following requirements. You're to abstain from food, sacrificed idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. These things. Three things on the short list of what to eliminate from your life. Number one, counterfeit gods. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Number two, fellowship busters. You say, why can I not eat, why can I not eat meat with a little bit of blood in it? Because Jews had a kosher diet, and they said, if you eat food that Jews can't eat, you'll remove each other from fellowship. You won't be able to be together at church, after church. And then number three, sexual immorality. Now, if we dig into these a little more clearly, I think there are some things that all of us could say, you know what, 21 days without those things would be good. We're in this 21-day season of prayer. My challenge for everyone in our church, everyone who's here today, everyone who's outside, everyone who's watching online, everyone who will watch this week is for 21 days, eliminate some of these things in your life counterfeit gods, abstain from things sacrificed to idols. Say, what is it? Anything else that could set itself up as God in your life, you got to get rid of. For those of you who are readers, I got another book for you this week. Gave you one last week. This week's book is Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. It's one of the greatest books that I've ever read about things in your life that you set up as gods that are not really gods, and you don't even know that you've placed them on the throne of your life until they get tipped over and everything falls apart. You say, what are the counterfeit gods that he mentions? Love. You say, I just need love. Love has become a God of my life because as soon as someone I love doesn't love me back, everything falls apart. You're placing too much investment in that money. Money. Real simple answer. If finances are okay, I sleep good. If finances are not okay, I don't sleep good. That would tell you that finance sits on the throne of your life. Success, power, control, 
And then it's interesting, he said, there are two gods that are pretty unique to Israel of the Old Testament and America of today, nationalism, God and country. See, when Jesus came around, all you needed to do was to be an Israeli, to be spiritual, because country had overtaken God. He said, those are kind of unique to Israel and America. And he said, two things that were unique to kind of Rome and America are politics. Politics can become your God. You say, how do I know if politics has become my God? If you have thought, if my guy loses in November, all hope is lost, you've put him on too much of a throne in your life. If you thought, if you've said, if you've tweeted, if you've typed, if you've emailed, if my guy loses, there's no hope. You've put, the guy, you've put that guy in the wrong place in your life. Because I don't know who's going to be president December 1. I don't know who's going to be inaugurated January 20. But I know Jesus will be on the throne of my heart on those days. So we'll, like, we'll figure it out. Amen? Like, great book. I actually read this book on a flight to Washington, D.C. several years ago, going to the, the National Prayer Breakfast. A group of three Christian leaders from Kansas City. And after the prayer breakfast, we had lunch with um, two representatives, Representative Kevin Yoder from Kansas, Republican, Representative Emanuel Cleaver from Missouri, a Democrat. We, we had lunch, the three of us and these two guys, the so five of us were having lunch together. And they were just, I just read this book on the flight there. And they said, hey, what are some recommendations you could give us? And I said, man, funny you ask. I pulled this book out of my backpack and I said, stop telling people that politics will do for them what only God can do because people are making a God of politics. Say, what'd they say? They both wrote it down and acted like they agreed with it. They're politicians. Like, that, like, that's what they do. I'm a constituent. They're like, yes, vote for me. Okay. Um, but I thought, Lord, like, what a, cra- like, what a crazy time. I didn't know I was going to have lunch with those guys. I just picked up a book out of my library and read it on the airplane on the way there. You, you got it for the next 21 days. Just for the next 21 days. Don't let anything have your heart but Jesus. Figure out what it is. Remove it from the throne. Fellowship busters. You say, what are fellowship busters? And that day it was don't eat food that's been strangled because basically you had churches that had two types of people, Jews and Gentiles. And if Gentiles didn't recognize some things that Jews were sensitive to, they couldn't go to small group together. They couldn't have fellowship after church. They couldn't be together. And he said, don't be so selfish that you live your life only for you. Don't do anything that would remove you from the rest of the church. That's going to be unhealthy for you and for them. So in our days, what are some fellowship busters in our days? Maybe masks, maybe social media statements, maybe fear, not living in fear if it removes you from your church. Maybe it's not trying to make a point instead of making a difference where you just totally remove yourself from people because you know I'll prove to everyone my point if I remove myself. Don't do that. Fellowship busters are really dangerous. And sexual immorality, you say, what's sexual immorality? Almost everything to be honest with you, almost everything. The only thing that the Bible calls sexually moral, the only sexual intimacy God blesses in scripture, the only sexual intimacy that honors God in scripture is a husband and a wife, a man and a woman having sex in marriage. That's it. Everything else falls outside of that. So teenagers, for the next 21 days, for the next 21 days, be sexually pure. Give it 21 days. It will transform your heart. I had one of our students that I talked to this week that I gave this challenge, said 21 days. I said, when is 21 days of prayer over? I thought that was an interesting question. I said, the morning of October 3rd. And he said, good. And I said, why is that good? And he said, well, homecoming's that night. And I said, I, I, I could tell where he was going. I said, well, help me. <laughs> like, why is that good? And he's like, well, I could like, keep the pledge and still enjoy homecoming. And I said, listen, 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 listen. One, you need to take a 40-day pledge. God has just told my heart, <laughs> you need 40, not 21. And two, don't ever talk to my daughter. Like, if you see her in church, you walk the other way. God bless you in Jesus' name. So like teens, listen, single adults, single adults. 
you're not married, single adults, if you're not married, sexual purity. Married adults, the side conversations, the flirtations, the innuendos with people you're not married to at work. Got 21 days, stop. How about everyone for the next 21 days? No pornography, no soft pornography, no shows that have sexual immorality on them. Like, do you think our world and our hearts would be cleaner and more transformed if 21 days we gave God sexual purity? The answer is yes. You don't, you don't have to amen that. We all know together the answer to that is yes. So Paul says you want to lean into Jesus and be transformed. You got to remove some things for your life. That's just a short list of three, but I think these are a good three. And then if you really want to lean in and close the gap between salvation and transformation, you're going to have to add some things. You have to add some things. You say, what do you add? Things that will transform your soul. Romans chapter 12 says it this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. There it is again. Brothers and sisters all mean Christians. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we're going to give, we're going to clean everything out of our life and then give our life to God. What's he going to do for us? We're not going to conform to the pattern of this world, but we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Be transformed. That's step two of our walk with Jesus. Be transformed. Paul says it happens by the renewing of your mind. If you will do that, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His will is good. His will is pleasing. His will is perfect. You say, man, that's what I want, Christian. I want to live in God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. I don't just want to know God. I want to be transformed by God. I want to close the gap between salvation and spiritual transformation. How do I renew my mind daily? Paul says you're going to be renewed. You're going to be transformed by renewing your mind every day. Say, how do I do that? Great question. Focus on the unseen. Focus on the eternal world. 2 Corinthians 4.18. We're not going to focus on everything going on around us. We might be aware of it, but we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on the unseen. Because if we want to look like Jesus, we have to look for Jesus. If we want people to see us like Jesus, we have to learn to see Jesus every day. We've got to focus on the unseen eternal world. You say, where, where is that? I want it. Where is it? Four places. Number one, you need to spend time in God's Word. Every day, spend a little time in God's Word. Get a great study Bible. Get a small group. Get a Bible reading plan. Get the Bible app on your phone. Every day, spend time in God's Word. That's where you will see Jesus in a way that will help others see Jesus in you. Number two, time in prayer. We said the defining factor of people who know God versus knowing about God is they pray, they talk to God, they have a relationship with him. Number three, time in worship. That is time every day reminding yourself God is greater than your circumstances. He's gonna take care of you. That's what worship is, just acknowledging God is higher than all my problems. God cares about me. He's gonna take care of me. Now, for those of you who are aware of what we do in 21 days of prayer, if you would make the sacrifice either online or in person over the next 21 days to join us, you would do all three of these things before breakfast almost every day for the next three weeks. We start 21 days of prayer today in church. Tomorrow's day two, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. You say, what is, like, do we just have to pray for an hour? No, 21 days of prayer. You come in, we have two songs of worship. We have about a 12-minute devotional. We then let you go for 25 minutes with a prayer journal. When you leave today in both entries, there's a prayer journal that has a place for you to write prayer requests every day between now and January 10th, which is when our winter 21 days of prayer will begin. Grab one of these before you go. Even if you're just going to tune in online, grab one of these before you go. We will give you 25, 30 minutes to do guided prayer time. We'll teach you how to have a prayer journal. 
And then we'll come back like Pastor Ryan did today and we'll pray together for about 12 minutes. And then at 658, 659 sharp, we send you out the door before you've had breakfast, most of you, before you've had enough coffee, most of you. You've already spent time in the word. You've already spent time in prayer. You've already spent time in worship. You say, I want to be transformed. You got to put some time into it. So I'm too discouraged and tired to do that. Just trust me. You put time into Jesus, he'll put transformation into your soul. Get here or join us online or they'll be on Facebook, our, our Journey Facebook page for 24 hours. Join us on Facebook. Get your journal when you go. And then I would encourage you to add in your downtime or in your drive time some edification to your life. I'm gonna start recommending books for you to read every Sunday. Things I think will encourage your soul. Get off social media. Get off Netflix for a little bit. Get off the news for a little bit. And when you have downtime, feed your soul. When you're in the car, feed your soul. Find pastors in our city, pastors around the country you like listening to. Listen to their sermons. If you're not here on a Sunday, listen to our sermon. After the sermon, go listen to our Activate podcast where Pastor Ryan and I try to dig a little deeper into everything we're talking about, things we want to say that we just haven't had time to say. Use your downtime. Use your drive time. Tune to 97.3 on your car. Get a Christian radio station for 21 days. Just for 21 days, remove the bad from your soul Start feeding it good and tell me three weeks from now, October 4th, if you don't feel more transformation. That's the process. That's the process. Because journey, it's one thing to be out of Egypt. It's a whole different thing and better thing to have Egypt out of you. But you got to work at it a little bit. That's why the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, as we wrap up, he says, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Paul said with everything going on, those people who are thinking about the things that matter to God begin to have those downloaded into their soul and the weight of those begins to make their lives look like Jesus. People who will think about the things that matter to God are going to be transformed Not to just follow Jesus, but to look like Jesus. Journey, I know that's your goal. That's my goal for you. And if we press on together, I think we can get there. Would you pray with me today? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Here and watching online, those of you outside, if you came in this morning separated from Jesus today, there could be a lot of reasons why, but if you leave separated, it's because you are intentionally choosing to remain that way because today, God wants to be close to you. Today, you need to hear that God loves you, that he's chosen you, that he wants to be in relationship with you. And if you would open your life to his son, Jesus, and place your faith in him to begin a relationship with God, you can know him, you can be transformed, you can become who he created you to be. If you've never done that, just tell Jesus this morning that you need him. Heads bowed, eyes closed, but hearts are open from your heart to heaven. You don't even have to pray out loud. Pray something like this. If you walked in today, not connected to God, but you want to walk out in a relationship with the God of heaven through Jesus. Just pray this from your heart to heaven. Jesus, I need you. Just repeat after me. Forgive my sin and brokenness. Heal me. Transform me. I surrender my life to your spirit and your leadership. Today by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I'm willing to commit to you. I will follow you. 
heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you just prayed that prayer with us in just a minute, Pastor Ryan's going to tell you how you can connect with us if you made a spiritual decision or a spiritual recommitment so we can pray for you, with you, give you some information about how to take your next steps. But as we close in prayer, let me talk to the Christians. Let me talk to the followers of Jesus today. If you're here and God has brought you out of Egypt through salvation, but you've not allowed him to work Egypt out of you through transformation, what did God say to you today and what are you gonna do about it? Because he wants to free you from slavery. He wants to make you his spiritual family, but you're gonna have to get intentional every day for at least the next 21 days. You're gonna have to remove the sin. I dare you, if you'll try it, a soul cleanse for 21 days, I promise you, you'll be transformed. If you'll learn to focus on the unseen until it matters, more than anything else that passes in front of your eyes on a daily basis, you will be transformed. But you gotta lean in. God, thank you for what you've taught us today. We agree with Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 that where the Lord is, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, there's transformation. And God, all of us with unveiled faces who are contemplating your glory are being transformed with ever-increasing glory, which comes from you. So God, as spiritual family, we rejoice. Let us strive as a church for full restoration. Let us encourage one another. Let us be of one mind. Let us live in peace. And may the God of love and the God of peace and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us. God, we love you and we need you as we live through this difficult season of life that weighs heavily upon us. Let us fill our soul up every day with Jesus. And God, as the things of the world that matter so much matter less and the things of God that matter more than anything matter more and more to us, God, I pray that the image of the Jesus we are following will become the image of our lives that others see. As we see Jesus, let people see Jesus in us. That's our prayer. Transform us. That's our prayer, God, and we ask it today in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you stand and worship with our team before we close this morning?